The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. It is hot, 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 and we are hot to trot. We are back in on the only boxing show that you really need to catch you up on what is the news, but more importantly, fights for the weekend. And up front, I'm going to confess, folks, as the host on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, there are not a lot of big-time fights this weekend. We do have a fight card top rank. ESPN Plus that we will get to in the thriving metropolis of Hinkley, Minnesota. We'll get to that and cover that. There are a couple of noteworthy names that are uh, involved in the feature fight and the co-feature fight, so we're ready to talk about that. News of the week and much more. I am the somewhat capable host. He is our content partner, Insider Dan Rayfield, back aboard here from Big Fight Weekend. You also read him on his Fight Freaks Unite Substack. Always wheeling and dealing with the boxing news, the previews, and everything else. How you feeling, my friend? Everything good? Everything is good. Everything is good. It's been a little bit of a squirrely week in the Rayfield household with my son uh, quarantined as we speak because of a COVID positive. <laughs> so he, he's fine physically, but he's uh, going a little stir crazy. So, you know, if you hear the bell and he's ringing for me or his mother <laughs> to go get him something, you know, you'll know what that's exactly. all about. Well, and one of the things uh, I, I shared with you before we began and before we hit the, re- the record button, first of all, we know this, the kid's immune system for yours, for my two, it's tougher than ours. The second thing is it's summer anyway, and they're out of the, out of the school uh, routine. So with COVID-19 uh, positives on the rise and being quarantined, at least it's in the summer where he's got some different things, you know, movies, whatever, to keep him occupied. Get the little guy healthy. That's what we're saying. Get the little little guy healthy there. And, uh, and please, because she has her hands full enough with Dan, uh, <laughs> our, our, uh, our concern for Mrs. Rayfield goes up 15 notches, too, when the little guy's not feeling good, because she's already got to take care of Dan. So He's, uh, he's doing okay. He's, he's, he's doing fine. Okay. We're fine. We're ready to rock on. I, I'm out, of serious. Qu- out of quarantine on Saturday. That's good. I'm serious when I say this. We have to be ready um, for this to crop back up again, where fighters are going to start testing positive, like the week of the fight again, we had yeah. this obviously for a while in 2020 and 2021, just as a general comment, as we begin, I'm not trying to be negative Nelly. I'm just saying you have to be ready <clears throat> public that you're going to start hearing this again, that there's a fighter positive two days or the day before his fight and he can't fight. That is provided that across the board in the U.S. and everywhere they're going to continue to do COVID testing, which I assume that they are to some degree. It's, it's asinine to think that it's not going to happen at least once or a couple of times. As the year goes on, you just got to be ready. You got to be ready. That's all I'm saying. Listen, I, I mean, most of the promoters and I think the fans, we've all adjusted to that. We know that that's part of uh, – the, the life cycle at the moment. And, uh, you know, to the credit of, uh, of many of the promoters, you know, it took a little while maybe to catch on because we weren't really sure how this was all going to play out, but, uh, promoters, uh, you know, PBC in particular, TGB promotions have done a tremendous job throughout this entire pandemic of making sure that if that happens, they have a, a, a solid, legitimate quality backup, either already on the card or even they sign guys, and they give them X amount of money to make sure they're ready. If they don't fight, they get the money. And if they end up getting elevated into the card or the main event or something or other, obviously they get a larger purse. So they've done a very good job of making sure that uh, the show goes on because, uh, you know, when one guy, it, it's not, it, it's a terrible situation when you have to cancel an event, uh, you know, for everybody, but especially in a COVID case where it happens at the last minute and you got the whole card set, you got the opponent in the main event, you got all those other fighters on the card, 
who have trained and, and are waiting to get their, their payday. It's their job. It's how they make a living. And if one person comes down with you, you have to scrap a whole card of maybe like say eight or nine fights. That's a lot of fighters. That's a lot of trainers. So they've done a good job of keeping them alive. Top rank has done a pretty good job. Matchroom has done a pretty good job. Uh, the promoters have done, have done nicely to keep these things going. To your point, I just thought of this while you were giving that answer. Matchroom <clears throat> did encounter this back about a month and a half ago with Jesse Bam Rodriguez when Sorung Visai from Thailand was supposed to challenge uh, for the WBC, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, belt, yeah. um, and, and came up COVID positive the week before the fight in Thailand uh, earlier this year. It was not this summer. It was earlier this year. You know, TJ, I might be wrong about this. In, in the case of Sorung Visai, maybe I'm misremembering. My under my my recollection is that he was ill, but it actually wasn't COVID. It was something different than COVID. But but either way, still you got to be ready. They went to Bam Rodriguez and said, "Will you move up in weight and fight for the title so that we can keep the title card intact?" And they only had a few days to make that switch and make it happen. Six days he did. To it. Six your days. point that you've got to be ready right now. Uh, you and I should have the gigs where we're being paid to just sit back and maybe we do the podcast and maybe we don't have to do the podcast and we get paid like the fighter that's sitting back as insurance. Maybe I'm fighting. Maybe I'm not fighting. It's kind of like uh, I'm going to go old school on you while we digress here uh, for just a second. I'm old school in the NBA with the Boston Celtics and the L.A. Lakers. I know you're a basketball guy and they both had a couple of guys on their bench. The Celtics had a big uh, kind of goonish guy named Greg Kite on their bench who was yeah. always good for like four fouls, maybe a rebound, maybe a basket. Maybe he's going to play. Maybe he's going to night. Maybe he's not going to play. Greg Kite's got like two, at least two championship rings and probably made several million dollars in a career where he was maybe playing a few minutes a game and a lot of games he maybe wasn't playing at all. Uh, the Lakers had another guy. He was a big, gangly, seven-foot guy that backed up who else but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which meant he basically was not playing most of the time. He got a couple of rings named Chuck Nevitt. A yes. Chuck Nevitt reference on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Look up the names, kids. Nevitt, again, would go like six weeks and not play significantly. Might play a couple of minutes in an NBA playoff game. But he's still getting paid, babe. He's still getting his ring. He's there if they need him. Now we bring it back to boxing. What a great spot to be in where you're kind of the emergency insurance fighter in the event that you're needed. And I agree with you. They're going to have to be more proactive and have some of these guys standing by. It may not be the ideal matchup you want, but to salvage a card one more time, it's necessary. It's part of doing business. And they understand that. And, uh, you know, the fighters uh, reap a reward, whether they fight or they don't fight. And, the promoters uh, are able to keep the shows going and it's good for the networks and the arenas. And, you know, it just makes sense. It, you know, what's the old saying, uh, you know, be prepared. Always. Whether it's the backup quarterback in the NFL who's sitting behind Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or Drew Brees, and you know, you're not playing unless it's a complete blowout uh, in any kind of a game. Uh, but you're still collecting your check. You're still doing your thing. Let's bring it back uh, to boxing much to get to, by the way, if you uh, are just finding us here, social media link, or uh, through the Big Fight Weekend website or Dan's Substack. Thank you for, for finding us, whatever the case is. Make sure you're following or subscribing because the Big Fight Weekend preview comes out 
conveniently enough, right before the weekend, usually on Friday mornings, we are out uh, previewing the weekend and whatever goes on. You'll also get the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast off the weekend, usually out late Sunday night, early Monday morning, right there off the weekend for whatever happens in boxing. And we've got other programming and other interviews that come along the way on this feed. But in particular, preview for the weekend out Friday, recap usually out late on Sunday night. So a little bit later on, we will talk about this ESPN top rank card, not championship fights, but still some interesting fights. We'll preview those. We've got the former unified heavyweight champ, Andy Ruiz on this podcast. You spent some time one-on-one with him recently. Just say something real quick. They're going to want to hear this interview because he's got a bout coming up uh, in September on a pay-per-view. Uh, yeah. Andy Ruiz is coming off a year and a half layoff. Only is going to be a second fight since his loss to Anthony Joshua that cost him the titles that he had won from Anthony Joshua. And we had a good conversation about what he's been doing for the last 18 months, what his mentality is, how disappointed he is still in himself about uh, not preparing the right way for the Anthony Joshua rematch. Um, Another change of trainers for him. Uh, This will be a second trainer in two fights that he, you know, he had one trainer for the last fight where he had, and now he switched yet again. He left Eddie Reynoso. Um, so we talked about that, you know, what his expectations are against King Kong Ortiz. They, of course, headline a Fox pay-per-view card uh, from uh, Los Angeles on September 4th, which actually is a Sunday mm-hmm. uh, before Labor Day weekend instead of usually the Saturday where you'd have the fight uh, slotted. But because of the holiday weekend, um, they're going on the Sunday, which is uh, happening occasionally now. Showtime has done it a couple of times with other PBC events. And it's strategic um, because college football is very correct. prevalent that afternoon and that night. But there's almost nothing on Sunday night, college football right. or otherwise. The NFL's not playing, so I actually I'm I'm paying them a nod that I yeah. think it's actually smart to kind of go on a on a night where it's a holiday the next day, so you've got a chance to get right. Some no one's no audience. one's getting up for work. On, you know, not nobody, but you know, the, the large amount of the public is not waking up early on on Monday morning to get off to the office. They're going to go and do their barbecues or hang out and go to the pool or relax or get one more, you know, weekend of uh, summer fun. And uh, Sunday night, there's some good fights on. It's a, it's a solid card. Abner Morris making his comeback uh, on that show, plus the heavyweight. So anyway, so Andy and I spoke about that. And, uh, you know, Andy was in very good spirits, uh, said all the right things. And even though the folks will be listening to his audio on the podcast, when we did our interview, we were on a Zoom call. So we were, we were looking at each other and, um, you know, he was, wearing his clothes of course but he looked like he's slim like he looked like he was in pretty good shape uh certainly better than we've seen him so uh i'll say this if andy ruiz is back in in in, in the ring and fighting on a regular basis and doing his thing you know boxing is better for it he's a fun fighter he's got an engaging personality you know he's a man of the people you know he, he doesn't look like a heavyweight champion but that's why they love him because he was able to do it he's a regular looking guy and, uh, you know, not the biggest dude in the world in terms of how tall he is. He's not a muscular guy, but he can fight. He's got fast hands. He's got fast got a feet. Big he's right been, hand. Ask got a big Anthony right Joshua. hand. Ask Anthony got Joshua a, about that right hand. Has a pretty good chin, I think. And he's got a good amateur experience behind him. And anyway, so if he can just, you know, keep focused and, and stay, you know, uh, not that he gets in trouble, but he kind of fades off and does other things. Not like he's a troublemaker getting arrested and all that, but he, he he's kind of not always as focused on, his uh, training camps as he should be. And, you know, it costs him the unified heavyweight title. And if you don't learn a lesson from that, I'm not sure you ever will. So it seems like he's uh, in a good place. And uh, I look forward to seeing him and King Kong, of course, is King Kong always in a interesting fight. And uh, anyway, so folks will have a, hopefully they'll listen to that interview and uh, 
hear what Andy has to say about the upcoming we'll get event. some good stuff coming here in just a few minutes. All right. So a few notes and nuggets before we get there. You reported uh, as as we pull the curtain back, you and I are recording on Thursday uh, to get ready to release the podcast for Friday. You reported on Thursday that there is a tentative date. You said you used the phrase in pencil, October 15th rematch, Devin Haney, George Cambosis, down under Australia, second go around for the undisputed lightweight championship. So tell us more about this coming together as it looks right now. Go ahead. Well, ever since the fight was signed in the first place and they fought the first match in the uh, undisputed fight back in June, uh, you know, for all of the four belts that took place at the Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, Australia, uh, the contract always contained the, the, the rematch language that Cambosis had the right to an immediate rematch and that it would take place in Australia. And so when he lost the fight to Devin Haney, who won, you know, in a, in a, in a great performance and, and totally dominated Cambosis, there was questions, you know, would Cambosis go for the rematch after such a one-sided loss? But of course, there's a huge purse riding on that for him. And uh, knowing how proud he is, like, I was not surprised at all that he uh, took the rematch because it wasn't like there was some other big fight out there for him. So he is having the rematch. Uh, no matter what Haney is saying on social media about, or hemming and hawing in his interviews on the zone about, well, maybe he'll be next. The fact of the matter is the rematch is contracted. Now, the old saying in boxing is I never saw a contract fight, but I'm pretty sure they're going to get it worked out. Remember when Andy Ruiz beat Anthony Joshua, he had a ironclad rematch clause, but he was making noise about not wanting to do that rematch immediately. And what all that means is I want more money. doesn't yep. mean I don't want to fight the fight. Now, you know, Anthony Joshua, and uh, wanted that fight. He had a rematch clause. He exercised the right. Anthony Joshua got that rematch. But before he got the rematch, even though it was contracted, they had to come up with some more money to, to sweeten the pot uh, for, for Ruiz to not give them problems and to honor and not drag him into court and do all the things that, you know, you don't want to make things messy. And I suspect that we're in that same position with the Devin Haney where, you know, he's more than happy to go whip the guy that he already whipped once before. He thinks he'll do it again. Uh, but he wants to be be compensated to, to go back to Australia, you know, he signed a contract. Um, he's trying to renegotiate it. So he knows he owes him the fight. And anyway, so October 15th, which would be um, a Saturday night in the United States, the same way it was the first time around, it would be a Sunday afternoon in Melbourne. Instead of doing it back at the Marvel Stadium, uh, they, they would do this fight. If everything gets worked out, they'll do it at the very famous Rod Laver Stadium, which is where, of course, they have the tennis uh, Australian Open. Uh, and they are working with the Victoria state government in Australia, which was big in terms of its uh, uh, significance in helping finance the event when they did the first time. And they're just trying to get that stuff squared away for the second time. But the working date is October 15th, no matter what Devin Haney says on social media. Uh, you know, George Cambosis <laughs> wants that fight. And, you know, now that's not to say that there might not be some 11th right. hour deal where, you know, somebody takes step aside or they decide to do something else. If they put enough pressure on, on Cambosis, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But as of right now, the plans are moving forward where they're working with all the parties to get everything lined up for October the 15th. And that, by the way, the date itself may be uh, newsworthy and the location specific may be newsworthy, but the fact that the rematch is happening or at least contracted to happen, the fact that it's going to be in Australia and the fact that it's going to be in the month of October, none of those are exactly revelations. That's always been the case from day still, one. Still, it's not going to take till December or January. I'm all Correct. for get it back in the ring, run it back in the, you know, three three months may be a little quick, but four or five months, I'm fine with that. Run it, you know, run if it people, people are yeah. saying it's a terrible rematch because it was so one-sided in the first fight, and, and I get all that, but people have to take a step back and understand one thing. And I'm not saying it's right, it's wrong, it just is. In boxing, in these types of fights, rematch clauses are unfortunately a big part of the landscape. 
And in order for us to get the first fight that we wanted to see, mm-hmm. sometimes you get a fight that's maybe not the best fight or not the most competitive fight. And this is the price you pay on the back end. It's kind of like you sign the great you know, ball player to a big giant contract and he produces like crazy those first three or four years. And then you're dying with the guy the next, you know, two or three years because he's old and he can't fight anymore or can't play anymore or can't, you know, hit his shots or hit the ball or whatever, or find the strike zone. And, you know, you have to figure out a way to deal with that. Uh, that's kind of the situation that you're in with a, with a rematch like this. Um, but again, George Cambosas gave Haney the opportunity and it's only right. And, you know, if he loses, he loses, and Haney can then move on. And, and, and I would look at it like this also. Don't worry about this being a rematch of a fight that was no good. Think about this. Haney's getting a defense. He's going to go back on the road theoretically. He's going to make another big pot of money. And in the meantime, come the fall, October-ish, uh, November-ish, you know, the plan is to see Vasily Lomachenko back in the ring. So let Devin Haney go take care of his business against Cambosis. If he wins the rematch or if Cambosis happens to win, Lomachenko will have taken care of his tune-up fight after returning from doing all of the stuff he was doing in relation to his service to Ukraine and the war with Russia. And that sets up, if he wins his fight, a big fight between Haney Cambosis two winner against Vasily Lomachenko, you know, for the lightweight championship, which was originally the fight that was supposed to take place anyway uh, between Cambosis and Loma. Loma backed out because he decided to, to, to uh, stay and, and fight for Ukraine and, and Haney took his spot. So, you know, stop bitching and moaning because there's a rematch that may not be the perfect fight. And by the way, if you can get the bigger names to start fighting each other, whether it's Lomachenko, Teofimo Lopez, et cetera, et cetera, that's in, in terms of title and undisputed title, that's what we would want. So you got it. You got it right now. Deal with the rematch clause. And Cambosis may be better and could could land a big punch and crazy things can happen. And that's some of the intrigue of a second fight. But we've got plenty of time to preview that. Uh, when it comes along. Some other quick news since we had the recap podcast, the WBA did issue a series of rulings, including saying to Leo Santa Cruz, you've got to fight your WBA featherweight mandatory or vacate the belt. That's Lee Wood uh, from the UK. Uh, They made a series of rulings, including saying to Gennady Golovkin, you've got to fight your mandatory, uh, Arislandi Laura, right after you fight Canelo Alvarez, no matter what happens, you're fighting Laura next or you've got to vacate. So, Dan, follow up on the WBA cleaning up some of what they've been promising to clean up. Well, I'm glad they're doing that. I mean, this all started last summer when uh, it became apparent that they could no longer function as an actual business without taking severe consequences if they didn't get rid of all these extraneous titles. So they got rid of all the interim titles. They terminated them all on the same day. This all began last August. There was all the controversy about that terrible decision that took place in Minnesota. In any event, they did a lot of good progress and they were whittling it down and getting rid of some of those extraneous titles. And then it kind of hit a wall and there are still nine away classes in which they do not have a singular champion. And, you know, I've supported the WBA in terms of their desire to do this and, you know, want to see it happen as, as harsh as I have been with them over the years. And I don't have to go through that, but it's, you know, anybody can find those uh, columns and stories in my commentary about that. Uh, all that said, I actually have a pretty good, uh, professional relationship with Gilberto Mendoza, the president, you know, he, he's taken my criticism. I've heard what he has to say. You know, we have a dialogue. Uh, I respect him for that. Uh, in any event, the, the, the progress was not moving quick enough. And then when I got word of the fact that they were considering strongly considering allowing Santa Cruz to do a unification with the newly crowned WBC featherweight title holder, Ray Vargas, I kind of flipped my lid uh, because they already had, or it's one thing if you allow an exception for a unification fight, but to allow the exception of, for a unification fight after you've already issued the formal uh, uh, order or decree for a mandatory fight, 
I have a really hard time with that. So they had, they had basically ordered Lee Wood and, and Santa Cruz to fight several months ago. They gave Leo the opportunity in February to take a tune-up. He said he would fight Lee Wood. If you give me the tune-up, I'll come back to featherweight. They said, okay. He fought the fight against uh, uh, Carbajal, and he won the fight in February. And then they were supposed to do the fight. They were supposed to have a purse bid. Yeah. They were, they were, you know, back and forth about what's the split on the purse bid. You know, you could just tell there was some other stuff going on. Then suddenly Ray Vargas wins the title from Meg Sayo in the WBC, also another PBC fighter. And suddenly you've got Leo Santa Cruz making an application through his people to the WBA for a special permit for an exception to a Lee Wood fight that had already been ordered so he can unify against Vargas. That is not the way this works. This is about True. getting down to one title in the, in the, in the weight classes for Especially, the WBA. Especially, and we keep saying this when he hasn't defended that specific Correct. title in three calendar years, they already broke yes. their rules by allowing Leo to hold the simultaneous WBA featherweight and junior lightweight titles at the same time. So that's water under the bridge, but you can make up for it by doing the right thing, you know, in, in real time. So, defend it against somebody, even a hot ham thing. and Swiss so, sandwich. Defend it. So on my on my uh, Fight Freaks Unite Substack, I wrote a very harsh column about the WBA backsliding in its promise to do what it promised to do. Like they basically got to like halfway point almost, and then they kind of like Gilberto was sort of you know all over the place. He was kind of as I call them going rogue. He wasn't listening to his advisors. He wasn't listening to his chief of staff. He was just sort of doing other things. And, you know, the reality is he read the column. He did take it to heart. We have that kind of relationship. He realized that he had to do the right thing for whatever reason. And he finally was like, you know what? Ray feels right. I'm not like taking credit for it. I'm just saying this is what happened. They, they decided to order. He's not going to approve the, uh, the unification between Santa Cruz and Vargas. And my point was, if, if Ray Vargas and Santa Cruz want to fight, no problem. It's a good matchup. I have no problem with that. It just can't be unified. You can right. give you can give Leo the chance to win the title, but therefore Lee would be would become the WBA champion. Um, they denied that, and he started to get to work in some of the other weight classes. So they they gave Leo they gave Leo Santa Cruz twenty four hours to either you know basically shit or get off the pot. Either going to defend against Wood and, and make a negotiation or we'll order a purse bid. They decided on the split finally. No ifs ands or buts. It's seventy five twenty five in favor of Santa Cruz, which he should be very happy about. And uh, now, now the uh, the Santa Cruz uh, teams, Tom Brown responded to the WBA saying, "Yes, Leo was willing, ready, and able to make that fight, and we will uh, uh, soon commence negotiations and contact Matchroom Boxing, Eddie Hearn, which is the promoter for Lee Wood." So that is a big headache that is taken care of. So theoretically, we're going to see Leo Santa Cruz against Lee Wood at some point in the next, you know, several months before the end of this year, and that will eliminate one of the extraneous titles in the WBA. They did the same uh, uh, order in the, in the cruiserweight division um, where they told the two fighters they had, you know, 24 hours to respond if they're in they, the, the, the regular champion and the super champion uh, Gula Marian and Riyad Mary, they both said, yes, we're in. So both of their teams, and matter of fact, I actually got an email today from uh, one of the people that works with, uh, uh, with the fighter with, uh, with Mary saying that they're excited and they're looking forward to doing it. Uh, so it seems like that cruiserweight fight will finally happen. And then in terms of what you mentioned with the super middleweight uh, title fight, you know, the triple G Canelo fight was approved a while ago by them, um, which it should be. And they basically said, we're allowing that fight, no problem. But when the fight is over, if, if Golovkin is the winner or the loser, whatever happens, 
If he's coming back to middleweight, he has to tell us as an organization within five days if he plans to uh, continue as middleweight champion and, and defend. If he says yes, you have X number of, you know, they'll give him several months, but you're going to have to fight the regular champion, which is Arislani Lara. So if Triple G wins against Canelo, I'm sure he's going to probably stay at super middleweight. No problem. They'll elevate Lara. If he loses, he could stay at super, middle, super middleweight. Also, they would elevate Lara. But if he wins or loses and decides to return to 160, at that point, he would be obligated to fight uh, the next fight against well, Lara. Keep in mind, he could vacate and he would still sure. be the IBF champion at 160. Do you, the, do you get the feeling if he loses at 168, is it likely that he wants to fight on after that Canelo fight? If he loses, he has all the money. He's 40 years old. Might he vacate both those belts and say, adios, I'm retiring. Give me some educated speculation. Oh, I mean, it's quick. certainly possible. I don't think, I don't think triple G is, uh, is, is in, in the sport still for the long term. As you've seen his, his, his activity level has certainly dropped off. Uh, you know, part of it was COVID related, but certainly not all of it. Um, but yeah, listen, Gennady Golovkin's had an awesome career. He's a future Hall of Famer. He has made tens of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's set up for life. Uh, he's got a great legacy. He's he's been um, as as much of a joy to cover and to watch as any fighter that I have covered in my entire career. Um, you know, and if he wins against Canelo or he loses against Canelo, you know, I, I think there's still uh, he could still certainly fight on, but at that point you, you know, he would wonder why, but you know, you never know. I mean, fighters are fighters, you know, through and through. So if he decided to retire, it wouldn't be a shock to me, but if he decided to, to carry on, it wouldn't surprise me either. I will say this though. What frankly would surprise me is if we ever see Gennady Golovkin in the ring with Ari Slani Lara, not because he's afraid of him, but it just, it's not a fight that would make a lot of sense for him financially. Probably Lara is with PBC. It becomes more complicated to make that kind of match. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, he doesn't need that WBA title. As you mentioned, he still has the IBF middleweight title, uh, although he would be have to make a mandatory of that belt at some point. Also, if he wins, he's going to be the undisputed super middleweight champion. One would one would think that he would probably remain in the 168 pound weight class. Obviously, this means nothing because it's all about what happens on September 17th anyway. Yep. Well said on all of that. Why don't we do this? Why don't we hear, speaking of unified or undisputed, let's hear from the unified heavyweight champion, Andy Ruiz. The former. The former unified heavyweight champion. He was brief, cup of coffee, unified heavyweight champion in 2019. Andy Ruiz talked about that and much more with Dan at length. All right, everybody. It's now time to talk to the former unified heavyweight champion of the world, Andy Ruiz Jr. Andy, I know you're getting ready for this big fight, September 4th, the headliner of the Fox pay-per-view against the former world title challenger, Luis King Kong Ortiz. First of all, it's been a minute since we've seen you in the ring. What you been doing for the last year and a half? You know what, from the long layoff, um, you know, I had a surgery after I fought Arriola um, on my right knee, but I took a long layoff. I took a long time to relax and deal with the family and try to meditate exactly what we want to do for this year and what do you know on september 4th we're fighting luis ortiz and we're just been getting ready uh, been training had like a three four month camp and you now we're just excited for september 4th i think that's a hell of a matchup but before we get to that fight just going to go back just a little bit after you had your championship uh fight with joshua and you won the titles and then you lost the rematch you took off 17 months and i wondered i know i know part of that i'm sure 
was related to the pandemic where so many people had layoffs, uh, not just in boxing, but in life, to tell you the truth. Um, but was the rest of that, was it by design? Was there some other injury? Were you just trying to kind of uh, collect yourself? What was the reason for that long layoff? No, I think the long layoff was me being um, mad at myself, you know, because I felt I could have done a lot of different changes. I feel things happen so fast, you know. Um, my dreams came true. I felt I should have... Instead of me going back to the gym and I felt like I forgot about the rematch closet I had and <laughs> I was just going over here, over there and it had just happened so fast that um, I kind of got a little depressed, you know, I was a little mad at myself and to this day I'm still mad at myself but I got to climb up the ladders once again and um, use that as a motivation where if I do get the opportunity to win and become a champion again, I know exactly what not to do and what to do because, you know, I, I did take a lot of toll out of me. So I kind of wanted to rest from boxing and just focus on the things that I did wrong and just be with the family. Well, when you came back after that layoff in May of last year, you had a really good fight with Chris Areola. You won that fight, uh, you know, pretty convincingly. I mean, I know you got knocked down early in the fight, but there was no doubt that you won. The crowd was entertained. Uh, you know, it was a good matchup. And, uh, it seems like the the momentum from that victory was lost a little bit because you had another long layoff. And I'm wondering what was going on there. Was that, you said you had the knee surgery. What was going on with that? Was that from the fight or is that from something else? No, like uh, after I had the rematch against Anthony Joshua, um, I was training. Um, I was trying to come back, but then my knees started hurting. So during the camp with Tarjola, um, I'm not going to lie, I kind of underestimated that fight. I thought it was going to be an easy fight. Um, I did not train train like I was supposed to or like how I usually do. And um, through that day, through that camp, I had to take cortisone shots on my knees. And the doctor was telling me, hey, bro, you need to get operated. You got a torn meniscus on your knee, on your right knee, from, from me always being heavy and doing all the drills that they would make me do. So... Um, I told him, you know what, Doc, I don't have no time. I have to have a fight like in a month and a half because I took that fight like in two and a half months notice. And um, I told him, you know what, I got to take this fight. And he's like, all right, well, do do the best that you can. And after that fight, you're going to have to get operated because it was kind of serious because I took uh, I was supposed to get operated three years ago and I was just scared. Right. I was scared to get operated and I just... I just couldn't keep taking those shots, you know. So you went into um, that fight with knee. you went into the Areola fight then a little dinged up with the knee. That makes the yeah, that makes but, the win even more impressive actually. Yeah, and um but yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, that I could have done better. There's a lot of stuff that I that I could have improved, but I think I focused too much on the weight. I focused too much on oh it's Arreola. I used to I, I I sparred him when I was younger. I used to you know we used to go at it, and I thought it was gonna be an easy fight, and that's why I took it. And you know things happen for a reason, but I learned from that mistake. So now we've been having a, a long training camp for September fourth against Luis Ortiz because I know damn well it's not gonna be an easy fight. Well, I, I was just gonna say, I, I know that you don't think that Luis Ortiz is an easy guy. He's a big, strong guy. He's a southpaw. He's got a ton of knockouts. His only losses in his career uh, were knockout losses, four titles against Deontay Wilder in fights where he 
in the first fight was hugely competitive, almost stopped Wilder. In the second fight, basically won every single minute of the fight except for when he got stopped with the one shot. And so uh, just what are your general thoughts on uh, King Kong Ortiz? Because it seems to me anyway, this is this is probably your toughest fight you've had since, you know, other than, say, Anthony Joshua, on paper anyway. Yeah, that's exactly true. That's why we're busting my ass off right now. We're not focusing too much on the weight, trying to look the part or anything like that. I'm just trying to be who I am and, and train hard, you know, because this is one of my first times fighting a, a lefty. And, um, you know, we've been training hard, man. I've been training hard for, for his style and, and exactly the way that, that he brings, you know. But I feel... Uh, me being a counter puncher and me being aggressive as well and the speed I feel is going to be uh, I don't, I don't want to say an easy fight or, or anything like that because I know damn well I'm going to go in there knowing that it's going to be a tough fight because like I, like you said he's a big guy he's strong he has a lot of knockouts but I feel my speed and my height is going to make it a little hard for him to, to hit me so um but like I said, I'm ready for September 4th and whatever he brings. Okay, so this you're fighting a real contender in this fight, as you are also. And so the winner of this fight, I mean, this to me is sort of like, it's not, I guess, an official elimination fight, but it looks like an elimination fight on paper because you're two top 10 guys and the winner is certainly moving on to bigger and better things. In your uh, uh, wish list or opinion, where does a victory over King Kong lead Andy Ruiz Jr. Because the titles, at least for the moment, are tied up with all the business going on with, uh, you know, with the Usyk and Joshua rematch. There's uh, another mandatory that's due. Tyson Fury. Nobody knows what he's going to be doing next. But so, where does it, where does it put you with a victory? Well, God willing, willing, we win this victory, and hopefully Wilder comes out of uh, retirement. Hopefully Tyson Fury doesn't uh, retire, so we can have a an opportunity to win that WBC belt, you know. There's a lot of different opportunities out there. Joshua's going to fight Usyk. Um, if Usyk wins, he, he'll be able to fight other fighters as well. So I feel this fight is really important. I have to win this fight. And, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure on me as well because I want to look good. I want to I wanna win uh, impressively. And, you know, if I win this fight, God willing, you know, sky's the limit. I, I'll be back on top, and this is exactly the type of fight that I need to to get those belts back. I just want to wrap up with you, Andy, uh, and ask you a little bit about your training situation. You obviously were training with Manny Robles for the two Anthony Joshua fights. Um, after that was over with, you moved on and had the Chris Ariola fight with Eddie Reynoso, and uh, now you're you're training with uh, Alfredo Osuna. And I wonder how come the the multiple changes and and besides that, what, what happened with you and Eddie, and what does Alfredo bring to the table to the Andy Ruiz camp? You know what? I appreciate every single trainer that I've had, you know, because I learned a lot from each and one of them, and from Manny to um, to Reynoso to Osuna right now. And, you know, I felt I had to make a little change for this fight because I needed the 100% time um, in the ring and in the boxing gym because... You know, um, I know Reynoso has a, a long schedule ahead of him, you know. Uh, Canelo's in a fight as well. Um, but there, there wasn't like, no, I'm not going to train with you no more. We didn't leave in a, in a bad situation or anything like that. I just felt like I needed um, Osuna to, like a one-on-one -on -one thing, you know. And um, just to focus on me, 
And this fight is really important, so I, I felt like I had to make a change and, you know, have my own facility, have my own gym, because this this fight is important, you know? I, I'm, I'm excited for this fight, and I know damn well it's not going to be easy, so that's why I needed all the attention on me, and, you know, I just got to bust my ass, and Osuna, and... Munir, I have Mendoza, a lot of these trainers that have been helping me out, and you know, I just want to get get the bring out the best out of me, and that's by me training super hard and having one on one with all these trainers that I have. Well, if you are uh, busting your ass as hard as you say, and I know the type of guy that King Kong is in the gym, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to this fight, Andy. Good luck in the match on September 4th, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time today to talk to me about it. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate you guys and always pumping up the fight. And, you know, everybody wants to know how the fighters are doing. So if it wasn't for you guys, I don't think the people would be knowing what was going on. So appreciate you guys, man. You got it. There you go. September 4th, Fox pay-per-view. Andy Ruiz Jr. taking on King Kong Ortiz. Thanks, Andy. Thank you, man. All right. One more time. He was candid. In that interview, Andy Ruiz on saying that he's he's still mad at himself on how fleeting it was. Um, it do, it does parallel Buster Douglas, doesn't it? And in, oh, in, totally. in Buster Douglas's case, uh, he never got back on the big stage after what Evander Holyfield did to him taking the title. Ruiz's hope is that he would get back on that big stage. It's not a guarantee, but just wrap it up there on the conversation one more time as he gets ready to fight Luis King Kong Ortiz in September. I mean, it is a perfect analogy. I mean, uh, you know, you win in a big massive upset against a guy that, that, that nobody give you even a remote chance to defeat you, you have fleeting success and then you come to the rematch. Uh, well, not the rematch. I mean, he Tyson never had the rematch. He went to the mandatory, which was Evander Holyfield. Uh, obviously in, in Andy's case, he did the rematch with Joshua. But the one thing that is the same is they were fighting a guy that was in supreme condition and they did not come in anywhere close. Not only not, they came in poor physical condition as well as poor mental condition. And they paid the price uh, in, in a, uh, you know, a clear loss. In the case of uh, Buster Douglas, he got knocked out, you know, with a big uppercut in the third round. And in the case of Andy Ruiz, he got completely toyed with and lost a decision, you know, like 12 to nothing, 11 to one, whatever. And, uh, you know, was kicking himself afterwards. Now, Andy has had, like I said before, he's had the win against Ariola uh, coming back after a long layoff, you know, a, 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 a well-known name, but a guy that's nowhere near his best. Uh, King Kong Ortiz may be older, but he's still a good contender. This is a real fight for Andy Ruiz and it's his real fight for King Kong also. So this is actually probably a bigger fight uh, in his return from, his fleeting glory than Buster Douglas ever had in the return from his fleeting glory. But, you know, you just hope that, uh, that he learned and that he can get it together and just not so it's not about if you, it's, I mean, yes, it's about if you win or lose, obviously, but the question is, can Andy Ruiz jr. Put himself in the best position to get the win. If you don't win, so be it, but he did not put himself in the best position to get the win in the rematch with Joshua. And hopefully he learned from that and that he will at least be as, you know, give himself the best effort, uh, and the best chance to win. And if he doesn't win, that's life. If he does win, obviously he moves on to a, a much bigger fight. You know, I can certainly see him down the road matching up with the Deontay Wilder at some point. Would be interesting. Shortly, by the way, we'll get to the fight previews of the ESPN Plus top rank card in uh, Hinkley, Minnesota this weekend featuring former world champion Isaac Dogbe. we got those previews coming. One more heavyweight note, though, before we get to all of that. The reschedule of the Philip Hergovich 
uh, and Zelay Zhang fight the big Chinese heavyweight. That is back on. And speaking of Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk, his opponent in their rematch, it's part of that card, right? Real quick, it looks like that is going to happen on the undercard, right? Correct. I mean, that has not been officially announced yet, but I'm told by multiple sources that is the case. They're preparing to be on that undercard. Uh, of course, they were supposed to fight in an IBF heavyweight elimination fight. Originally, was supposed to be in May as the co-feature on the card headlined by the uh, Canelo alvarez Dimitri Bivol fight. But uh, Philip Hergovich's father had passed away you know, in the weeks leading up to that fight, he was not prepared mentally, emotionally to go through with the fight he pulled out. They did get a late replacement to fight uh, uh, Zhang Zalai. They dropped him down the card to a 10-rounder and knocked out a guy in the first round. Uh, but it certainly wasn't at the level of Philip Hergovic. And so now the the, uh, the mandatory eliminator from the IBF is rescheduled. And if you're going to be on a card, having the elimination fight for the IBF title in the co-feature in the, of the main event that features the unified title, including the IBF title, that uh, certainly makes it very interesting. And so that, that's a good matchup. You know, they're both six foot six guys. They're both, uh, they're both powerful fighters. Obviously uh, the one thing is that Hergovich is much younger. He's, you know, eight or nine years younger than, than, uh, than Zhang Zalai. He's a big, I believe about 39 years old now. Hergovich is still coming into his own as a professional, uh, but it shapes up like a good fight. All right, we will see what happens with that for August 6th and when they make that official. We August, uh, August 20th. August 20th, my bad, August 20th for that one, uh, for the uh, matchup with Joshua and Usyk as the main event, and that would be the co-feature there in Saudi Arabia. We do know this. We've got a matchup, a main event matchup with Joette Gonzalez and Isaac Dogbay to talk about. We'll preview that in the co-feature fight that uh, is also a bit intriguing, too, from Top Rank Boxing. That is coming shortly. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. We are back in once more. We love the insight and the analysis of Dan Rayfield as well as our content partner here from BigFightWeekend.com and also his Fight Freaks Unite Substack. By the way, we've not mentioned it here on this podcast. Keep rating and reviewing us because Dan's got a giveaway out of the collection. He's got an extra, speaking of, Cambosis Haney won in Melbourne, Australia earlier this summer. Dan's got a fight poster that he will give away to somebody. We'll give it away at random that has rated and reviewed us since June. If you have rated and reviewed us since June and you've not won anything, we did give away a Tyson Holyfield one hat uh, back a couple of weeks ago. We, we are bribing you peeps, savages. We are bribing you. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcast. Take a screenshot. Tag Dan. Tag Big Fight Weekend. We'll see that on the screenshot. Somebody at random coming up here shortly in July is going to win that uh, fight poster. Neat keepsake from the night that Devin Haney made history. First undisputed lightweight champion since when? Pernell Whitaker, 90, 1990. 1991. 30 years. And so you'll get the fight poster at random. Somebody's going to get that. We'll send it to you if you rate us and review us and take a screenshot. And several of you have been doing that now here in the last week or two. Keep doing that because it allows more people to obviously help find us on Apple Podcasts as well. Keep rating and reviewing the podcast. All right, let's get into it. Again, I don't want to ever lie to the audience. I'm not going to sit here and act like this is a huge weekend of, of boxing and fights. We have a solid non-title card that is the main card that we're talking about here. Top rank boxing ESPN plus main event featherweights, former 122 pound world champ, Isaac dog Bay in the main event against Joette Gonzalez. 
Gonzalez has twice unsuccessfully uh, challenged for a world title. So they are the main event. Dan, give me some quick thoughts here on this matchup 10-rounder that will be featured on ESPN Plus Saturday night. It's a real crossroads fight for these guys. I mean, as you mentioned, they've had their ups. They've had their downs. Joette Gonzalez, uh, big heart, uh, fun fighter to watch, uh, aggressive. You know, but he did he did lose uh, in, in pretty one-sided fashion in his two championship opportunities. In 2019, he got shut out uh, in, a, in a completely one-sided fight for the vacant WBO featherweight title against Shakur Stevenson. Uh, people that remember that fight remember the terrible bad blood between them uh, because of the fact that Shakur used to date his sister. It was a whole big, you know, soap opera, but uh, they've buried the hatchet. But the point is Shakur completely outclassed him uh, and Joe at lost. He did come back from that loss with a victory over Miguel Mariaga, who seems to be like the kind of guy that you get well against, even though he's a good fighter also. Uh, that got him a title shot uh, for the WBO featherweight title again. Shakur had vacated. He then found himself in the ring against Emmanuel Navarrete and it was a very dramatic and exciting fight, but he took a terrible beating, but showed massive heart in that fight. I just thought that was an unbelievable performance in terms of the, not the, not his performance as far as his abilities, because he lost guts, in a pretty uh, one-sided fashion, but the, guts, the heart, the guts, yeah. the balls, just, you know, what boxing is about, you know, you get racked around, but you, you keep, you keep on trying and uh, Navarrete won the fight, but I think, you know, Navarrete won the fight. I think Joette won the event because he just showed so much, uh, Heart, how could you not love this guy? But again, he bounced back from that. He had a, a victory uh, in March uh, where he scored a knockout against J.O. Santisma. And now that puts him in this position against Dog Bay where the winner will be a step closer to another title fight. Um, it's like a semifinal, quarterfinal, eliminator, whatever. Uh, not a, not to be the mandatory, I don't believe. But anyway, he's got to take on Dog Bay. Now, Dog Bay has been in a situation where he's had his ups and downs also. He lost his title to Navarrete when he was at 122 pounds. They had a rematch. He got knocked out in the rematch. And ever since then, uh, he's gone up to the featherweight division where he has won three fights in a row. He's got the win against Avalos, decent win, win against Adam Lopez, decent win, another decent win against Christopher Diaz, who had challenged for a title in the 122-pound weight class. So he's got the three wins in a row, but two of them were by close majority decisions. Mm -hmm. Hasn't looked phenomenal. Uh, Joette, I think, is a tougher test than those other guys I just mentioned. You know, on paper, it's an even kind of matchup. It's a should be a good fight to watch. Uh, again, not a title fight, not the biggest fight in the world. But you know what, TJ? It's all we got this weekend, baby. It is, and it's a fairly even fight on the BetUS line. We're obviously going to be talking about this much more. Here's a plug for the BetUS a boxing show where we give some gambling advice Fridays, one Eastern time. You can find that on the bet us platforms, their app, their YouTube page, bet us line. Dan Rayfield has Joette Gonzalez favorite at minus two sixty, but dog Bay is only a plus two ten, two to one underdog. So a fairly even fight and over under of eight and a half rounds. So the odds makers think on the 10 round fight, this is probably a distance fight, or at least they're enticing you uh, to look that way. But, Fairly, a fairly even fight, according to the odds makers here, and that's what we like. We were we were talking about that just a week ago with the Barboza main event. That you may not know a lot of about these guys, but they're fairly evenly matched, and you're not you're not likely to see a one round squash and it's over with. That's the point, right? You no, know, that's what you. I mean, if you're not having a a big mega main event or a big you know main championship level fight. All you can ask for is give me some entertainment in an evenly matched fight where, like you said, you don't know who's going to win. I agree with those bet U.S. odds that it does make sense in my mind that Joette Gonzalez is a favorite. 
but it shouldn't be by an enormous amount. And it's not as they are reflected. And so I just think it's a good little fight. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's two guys with pretty decent names who've been uh, on the bigger stage in, in world title fights have had their problems, but they've picked themselves up and, and scored some wins and put themselves back in the position. They're taking each other on the winner is going to take a big step forward. And, you know, the loss, a loss in this fight is going to be really tough to, you know, not to say they're going to retire, but it's going to be more, it's going to be more difficult to bounce back from this than it is when you lose in a title fight to Navarrete is the point. And uh, so there's a lot on the line for these guys in that sense. And uh, hopefully uh, that will be in their minds and they'll let it all hang out on, on a Saturday night when we watch this fight and we'll see a good one. I hope I suspect yeah. it will be a pretty good fight given see the you. styles that Joette possesses and, and, and dog Bay possess. Uh, they've made some entertaining matchups over the last few years that they've been top contenders or challenging for titles or in dog Bay's case, been a world champion. Uh, pretty good matchup. All right. Uh, just before that, the co-feature fight will, will have uh, lightweights that are in the ring. Giovanni Cabrera unbeaten trained by Freddie Roach, Gabriel Flores, Jr. Gabe Flores is the opponent who seemed to be ticketed for stardom, but got derailed at junior lightweight, had some issues, obviously making weight, was beaten badly uh, on a TKO stoppage, has since had a comeback fight that he narrowly uh, won, had at least one comeback fight that he narrowly well, won after that. I loss, must interject right? here one thing. Yeah. It was such a bad beating. You think it was a stoppage, and it should have been a stoppage. In reality, they didn't stop the fight. Everybody thought the dad was going to stop yeah. the fight or the ref was going to stop the fight. They let this poor guy take a beating. It actually did go to the final bell of the 10th round when he fought. Uh, Luis Lopez, who now, by the way, is a mandatory challenger for the IBF featherweight title. But uh, he took a bad beating, but he did make it the distance did not get stopped, but probably should have been. Has won one fight since then against Abraham Montoya. And now he's back in the ring with Cabrera. on All Saturday. Right, so what do we make of this again? Cabrera is unbeaten. He's trained by Freddie Roach. Flores trained by his father. Career somewhat on the line. Here we go again. Crossroads. If he suffers another loss in another non-title fight, that is damaging. So I guess that's part of the intrigue, right? I mean, I don't say the career is on the line where, again, he's not going to necessarily retire. He's a very right. young fighter. He's only, you know, 21 years old or 22 years old in terms of uh, Gabriel Flores. He was a kid that turned pro, you know, he signed really young. Um, but certainly if you lose again at this age in this sort of spot, you know, you, you, you're not necessarily retiring. But the, the, the fact that you think you're going to be an A side in televised fights or, you know, fighting for world titles in the near future – that's out the window. You're going to have to rebuild yourself. And to be quite honest, if he loses this fight, I'd be surprised if top rank, uh, you know, kept him. I would, if he did lose again, top rank, I think would probably release him. Uh, maybe somebody else will pick him up. Um, so, you know, he's in a, you know, in a, in a, I won't say must win, but it's about as close as you can get. Uh, and we should this say, one. we should say he's a big fan favorite in Northern California. Elaborate on this. They are rooting hard for this guy. He's a local kid made good, had the unbeaten career going, got beat. And now he's fighting in the great white North, although it's a little warmer right now in the great <laughs> white North in Minnesota. This ain't no home game for Gabe Flores. And he's oh, got to show not. something. He's got to show something Saturday night. Yeah. Right? You know, and listen, even though he came back with the win after that beating, he took to, to Lopez. You know, it was a majority decision. He didn't look great against Montoya. That took place back in March. It was it was a good win for him, you know, and he did show that he had at least put that beating behind him to some degree. Um, and he did perform, even if it was um, not an easy victory. But at that level, when you're being in those types of fights, they're not supposed to be easy, frankly. Um, and now he's in, you know, tougher. I mean, Cabrera is not a guy that's got a lot of notoriety. Uh, he's not the most known guy, but 
He has the win over uh, Rene Tellez Giron that was considered like an upset back when he when he upset him uh, earlier in the year. Um, you know, he's had some like other type of victories against like second tier type of guys, Escalante and whatever. But we don't really know a lot about Cabrera at this point. Flores, you know, at least has a, a name that that fans who, are, who follow this closely, they know because of the hype he got as a prospect coming up. And so if Cabrera can win this fight, that will, in my mind, that would probably be his best win of his career uh, in a career that hasn't really seen him uh, fight a whole lot of top guys at all. Any, quick, any top guys. A quick thought just crossed my mind. I have fleeting thoughts all the time. We saw Arnold Barboza win last week, lightweight, right? Could junior welterweight. The, junior welterweight. Well, could could the winner here? It's probably not Flores, but could the winner here, Cabrera, maybe be in Barboza's future? I don't know. Uh, no. I mean, no. because Teofimo Lopez fighting no. at one forty or one thirty-five. Barboza there. This fighter fighting in a main event. Maybe some of your fleeting thoughts are fantastic. This is not one of them. So erase that fleeting <laughs> thought. No, I mean this. Look, Barboza is on. Barboza is on his way to a way, title fight. Phrase it this way: If Cabrera wins, what's potentially in his future? Because it's not an undisputed shot. We know that. No. Who else is in the top rank stable off the top of your head that is in there as incentive? Hey, if I win, I can get a bigger fight with that guy. Maybe. Do we have? It's not one? necessarily about a bigger fight at this point because right. Cabrera is not that well known. It could be another fight like a Flores fight. You know, Got not it. all contenders are created equal he still has probably some work to do he'll just get another fight and you can keep on building yourself you have to you know the biggest thing that he wants to do Cabrera and Flores for that matter is win and give me a reason to want to watch you again and and until that occurs you know it's hard to talk in any intelligent manner about their future it's not it's different than if your guy you know we can talk intelligently about a guy like Andy Ruiz's future uh because we know what he's been through we know what he's done we know what he's capable of We've seen his, his uh, failures, uh, and he's obviously established himself as a top name in the weight class. He's been the unified heavyweight champion. A totally different ballgame to talk about what might be down the road for him with a win, or Luis Ortiz for that matter, than it is for these two guys who are still trying to claw their way up and, and become uh, names. But one way you do that is by fighting and getting attention as a co-feature on one of these top-ranked shows. And we should also mention, too, on the Bet US line, it's very even, minus 115 for either fighter. Interesting. Also, Cabrera twenty and zero, but only seven knockouts. Not a big time puncher. Uh, over under and, eight and a half rounds again. So just keep all that in mind. And listen, Flores is not a big puncher either. He's twenty one and zero with only seven knockouts. He's not yep. a puncher. And you know the thing about it is, if you take a look, and it's not a shocker when you think about this, a lot of those knockouts were happening early in his career when he was fighting guys. You know, listen, he was seventeen years old when he turned, or eighteen years old when he turned pro. Whatever it was, he was a teenager. He was not being matched, expressed, you know, very yep. hard in those early days while he was getting used to the pro game. So inevitably, when you fight complete nobodies, uh, you know, you're going to score your share of knockouts against those inferior opponents. It's as you start to step up the level of opposition. If you don't have that, you know, that electrifying power, uh, you're going to go the distance in a lot of these fights. And if you take a look at the record uh, of, of a Gabriel Flores, he's been going the distance you know, in most of his fights, the one exception was when he stopped Jason Velez, which was, I guess, a pretty good uh, knockout for him. All right. We will find out what happens again. ESPN plus will have it. You got to have the ESPN plus app uh, for that to be able to see the top ranked card that again has Joette Gonzalez, Isaac dog Bay as the main event, <clears throat> the main attraction coming on Saturday night from the grand casino in Hinkley, Minnesota. Hello uh, on that. And they've had some fight cards there. I know I would say uh, what don't knock Hinkley, Minnesota. Hey. I've, known, I've never personally been there, but I know a lot of people that have been there for their boxing events because they have 
hosted right. uh, showbox fights and some other fights yes, over the I years. Yes, I was coming to this. Uh, yes, yes. Because they say the, it's nice. The, the people are nice. I haven't been there. I've been nice. to Minnesota. I've not been to Hinkley. It is uh, hard to get to is all. All right, but it's the answer to the trivia question, my friend, because the last live sporting event before the shutdown of everything, because we had, again, I keep referencing Barry Tompkins on this Big Fight Weekend podcast because we've had him on on certain occasions on these different things. Barry was on the call with Steve Farhood and Raul Marquez for the Showbox card in Hinkley, Minnesota, this same venue in the same arena that was the last sporting event on March the 13th, Friday night the 13th, 2020, when everything shut down, at least in North American sports, for about two or three months and nothing played. The NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, the Major League Baseball season starting, boxing anymore, golf, nothing. Nothing went on. The last thing was a Showbox card where Brandon Lee was the main event in an empty casino that only had like the fight officials the corner people and the showtime announcers and the showtime crew so yes that that is famous for something there in hinkley minnesota i'm not knocking it out of hand i'm just saying it's not new york city it's not chicago it's not la that's all i'm this saying is true well by the way forget chicago when's the last time chicago had a fight that meant anything true chicago should be a great fight town and to be honest with you it, it's it's a terrible fight town because they've they've had good pros yeah. over the years and they haven't had they've had a few cards of consequence but i haven't covered a fight in chicago gotta be decade decade at least yeah i mean i covered a few fights in and around chicago i covered you know in downtown chicago when you know i forget what year this was but you can look it up a uh, heavyweight title fight when when uh Lehman brewster uh knocked out andrew galata in the first round in a wbo right. heavyweight title match and the undercard, which was not on HBO, which was a great fight. The first fight between Thomas Adamek and Paul Briggs for what was then the vacant WBC light heavyweight title, a bloodbath. Thomas Adamek came into that fight with a broken nose, and you could tell after like the first round. Let me tell you, trivia, people say, you know, what's the, I get at, what's the this fight you've ever seen? What's the that fight you've ever seen? What's the greatest knockout? This, say, people say, if they say, what's the bloodiest fight you've ever seen? Thomas Adamek against Paul Briggs. The blood flowed the entire Disgusting. fight. Disgusting, right. I'm a, I'll give you a little story about that. As, as, as Just random as this just sort of comes fleeting up. Moment our, comes we didn't to plan, we didn't plan to talk about this. We did not plan this, but a fleeting blood moment has come to Dan Go. I never forget this. I'm sitting in the, uh, what's the name of that? The arena where the Bulls. the United Bulls, Center where Michael this is the United, the Bulls? Exactly. Okay, all right. This is where the Bulls played. Uh, I'm sitting next to... Uh, the newly minted and recently inducted Hall of Famer and great boxing writer and my longtime friend, Ron Borges, who had written for the Boston Globe for many, mm-hmm. many years, the Boston Herald for many, many years. Anyway, I sat, I, I remember this because about what I'm about to tell you. We're sitting there and Briggs and Adamek are fighting and Adamek's nose is just, the blood is everywhere. It was grotesque. And we're sitting like in the front row, like five feet from the ring. And you see, you really can see it it's it's terrible and i mean i've seen bloody fights before i've been watching boxing for 40 years and i've been covering it for over 20 not my first rodeo in terms of seeing a guy bleeding in a ring but i did turn to ron around like round eight nine ten something like that and i'm like dude i'm getting a little queasy like there was so much blood in that fight i started to feel i started to feel nauseous that's how bloody this was and i remember going to the post-fight press conference and Adamek still like, even though they, they took care of him after the fight, he still got like smears of blood. It felt like on his face and everything. And he's talking about how he got hurt in his, like one of his last sparring sessions, he broke his nose. He didn't tell his people because he didn't want to cancel the title wow. fight. Cause it was his big opportunity to win that belt. And he won and the uh, belt. 
He won the belt despite the broken he ended up having nose. a wow. rematch. He ended up having a rematch with Briggs, you know, down the road. And uh, Thomas Adamick went on to have a very good career as a light heavyweight champion, made his biggest name as a cruiserweight champion, and then had some, uh, you know, fought as a heavyweight. You know, his biggest fight, of course, he lost against Vitaly Klitschko in a mandatory fight that took place in Poland, his home country. But uh, Thomas Adamek is one of the toughest men you'll ever see in boxing. This is the amount of punishment and the amount of pain this man could take in that fight. Every time he got touched on the nose and the blood was everywhere. Uh, now you, you've not only grossed me out, now you've made me think, let me go find this on YouTube or photos or wherever it is to see that. The only thing I could think of, and we got to go here in a second, is I know that Jai Opataya, who just won the Cruiserweight Championship, what the WBO, correct me, IBF, WBO, IBF, 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 IBF Cruiserweight Championship over uh, uh, Marius Breedis in Australia, uh, Opataya has not been able to talk literally because of a double broken jaw, what's called a lineal, uh, uh lateral lineal bilateral fracture of the jaw. He fractured both sides of the jaw. Lateral the, is the jaw. Lineal is the title. <laughs> lineal is the title. Very good. The bilateral meaning he broke it on both sides. Uh, of the jaw so he's only been able to talk like in recent days because he had the jaw repaired surgically wired shut but the point i'm coming to is Breedis broke his nose in that fight opataya broke his nose early on in that fight and so here you had one guy bleeding the whole fight with the busted nose and opataya was saying in a recent interview i saw a clip uh, of that interview that he knew his jaw was messed up but he could see Breedis bleeding badly and thought i could maybe get him i could stop him i could get him out of there and the fight wore on with these two beating on each other one with a broken nose for like nine rounds like what you're describing and and opataya fought he broke he broke the jaw apparently early like in the second Listen, round the, and the fought thomas, 10 more rounds with it the thomas adamek briggs won besides the, the i mean obviously the broken nose and the blood lended to the drama but it's just a tremendous fight, a very gotcha. exciting action-packed fight. And I just remember, like, thinking to myself that night, like, HBO showed Lehman Brewster against Andrew Galata. It was a one-round knockout that stunk out loud because Galata, you know, was uh, at that point just, you know. He was done. He was done. Yeah. And this other fight that was on the undercard between two guys, you know, granted were not the most known names, was simply just not ever contemplated as part of the broadcast. I forget what it was, but HBO was having a replay of a big pay-per-view that had taken place the previous week as part, I don't remember what fight it was, but it was part of the broadcast. So their doubleheader was the HBO replay of whatever fight was from the big pay-per-view. And then the live heavyweight title fight between uh, Brewster and Glada and this light heavyweight fight was seen only by those in attendance at the arena or, you know, on international broadcast where Don King had sold the, the, uh, you know, the fight around the world to other broadcasters. But I would say go on YouTube. I'm pretty sure it's there. It's a great matchup. It's a really exciting fight. One of those sort of lost classics because it wasn't televised prominently in the United States. Great stuff. And there's a lot of fights like that. That's just one of them that I thought of because you, and this all started because you mentioned Chicago. Chicago. Well, Chicago, I I was just thinking of this. Chicago used to have big time heavyweight fights way back. Like in the 50s and the 60s, it would have Jake LaMotta, obviously, from Chicago. It yeah. would have big-time fights back in the day, but not recently. Not, not No, in my, in my career, I covered that fight there. I covered, like, in Eric Morales against David Diaz was in Rosemont. There were some other fights that were in, like, For Hoffman's example, estate. Alexander Usyk fought as a heavyweight contender a couple of years ago, and Matchroom put him at Correct. the Rosemont, whatever that is now, the Allstate Arena or whatever it is. I've done basketball games out of that arena. They put him in that arena on a Matchroom show. I don't so even think it was there. I think it was, I think it was the, uh, the arena for uh, 
the new arena that they built there. Jesse maybe, Vargas had a fight there. And so, so I think well, Matram went there twice. I didn't cover, I didn't, I wrote about those events, but I didn't right. go in person. But at least, but, uh, at least they had something there of note recently, but in terms of big time world title, much less world heavyweight title fights, they used to have all the big time. I did uh, like a Juan Diaz, Julio Diaz unification fight that took place there back in the day. I will take your word for it. If you say you were there and it was in Chicago, I believe you without looking. But I'm, I'm they were like in and around like Hoffman's estate is like 30 minutes outside of Chicago. Don King found some guy that owned a building that was willing to pay him money and suckered him to put on a couple of fight cards there. And we went to Hoffman's estate. Can I tell you? Whatever you got to do. Uh, I remember hanging out with remember hanging out with Roy Jones and Larry Merchant and like the Applebee's in the parking lot across from the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and you just muttered to yourself don king and only in america and only with don king that run yes Applebee's sir in the chicago northern suburbs um on that note i think we're done with those fights coming as part of top rank and espn plus for now we are good dan rayfield excellent stuff as always we'll be reading you uh as as well on uh, your fight freaks unite Substack, as well as bigfightweekend.com in the preview mode and the recap mode of whatever happens this weekend fight freaks unite recap show off the weekend with whatever happens with gonzalez and dog bay in the main event featherweights in minnesota and much more in the meantime have a great weekend my friend i always appreciate uh all of the insight and even uh throwback nostalgia about bloody noses thank you sir Keep that, my man. And tell everybody, make sure to rate and review us and get the free poster. That's correct. Haney Cambosis poster. If you rate us and review us, we're going to draw somebody at random that has done that since June when we started doing these contests. We're bribing you again. Five-star reviews are appreciated on Apple. Uh, go and rate us and review us. We'll give away the poster at random to somebody before we're done. For now, we are done on the Big Fight Weekend Preview. Bye.